What's up, crew? Welcome to Filming in Progress, the show that takes you backstage into the world of local businesses and the people who make them shine. Our guest today is James Bocher. James is a distinguished leader in the natural foods industry, recognized for his commitment to empowering teams, customers, and partners. As the Chief Empowerment Officer at Righteous Gelato, James has a proven track record of success, with awards like the 2018 EY Entrepreneur of the Year, Top 40 Under 40 2013, Canada's Most Admired Corporate Cultures, and a certified great place to work. James, welcome. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. What a treat. <laughs> uh, How'd you get here? Uh, like here today to work, you yeah. know? <laughs> uh, to, brought my car. No, um, how did I get here? Well, I, I said this to you earlier. Uh, it's always a treat to sit down with you and chat because i uh, big fan of what you're building and, and all the good stuff. So thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Take me back to the beginning. What, you know, how, did, how did this whole entrepreneurship endeavor come about? Yeah, so many, so many turns in the road, that's for sure. Uh, when I was younger, I uh, always found a way to help put food on the table. And, and uh, throughout my journey through school, I always sort of took up odd jobs. And, and one of the things was creating a freelance design agency when I was in high school. I thought, uh, you know, found Photoshop and Illustrator kind of cool and always loved brand. Um, and just uh, picked up a few clients along the way, and one of them happened to be this this little gelato shop um, that was emerging right around the time I had just graduated high school. Um, so yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting sort of founding story of coming along with the the gelato shop. But uh, yeah, bringing you back kind of to to the beginning, um, there was uh, um, this shop that I thought I'd just be serving gelato and coffee out of and the founder thought you know you you're really passionate about this and and he wanted to move on so ended up uh taking this thing over and and uh lo and behold a few years later we're the number one selling gelato company in canada so pretty cool right on Mm -hmm. you said something off camera that really kind of uh you know has has sat with me for a while and that's that you fell in love with the energy of Hmm. that original like that original shop yeah is that does that stay true to today how does how do you embody that energy that you fell in love with and make sure that it's you know maintained these days yeah i think the the biggest thing is um you know uh a lot of great things in life create that energy and so that could be music or food um i think when it comes to ice cream or gelato you know kids pressed up against the glass just enjoying themselves uh it was it was something i knew i wanted to be a part of and and um yeah when the opportunity arose to to take it over i don't think i thought too much about it being winter for half the year in calgary (laughs) in my mid-20s as much as i did about the uh the the fun that could be sort of enjoyed so um I, I know that when you found the gelato shop originally, it was called Fiasco, mm-hmm. and now it's called Righteous. Can yeah. you walk me through kind of what that looked like? Yeah, the name change. I mean, it's it's kind of sort of, uh, you know, we've, we've been around for a minute, but uh, it's kind of one of those things that seemed like it was it was sort of abrupt, and, and in reality, it took a long time. So, um, again, when I started out, we were just a scoop shop and had this name, and someone came along after us in the U.S. and called themselves Gelato Fiasco, so... I always joke that they maybe didn't have Google back then, um, which is not true. But uh, um, yeah, we, we knew they existed. They knew we existed and, and they ended up taking in some outside money. And one of the guys was a trademark lawyer. So we had held the trademark, but uh, I didn't know that in the U.S. you have to be active in the U.S. to hold it. So they made us forfeit it. And it got a bit complicated because we were both still small. Um, and we got to this point where people were requesting us to come to the U.S. You know, they loved the product, right? Experienced the brand, and and uh, we looked at, you know, would it make sense to sort of acquire that whole company back and and keep the name? Um, unfortunately, they had sort of copied a lot of the things we we had done and and did them maybe not as well as as we thought, and and so there was a lot of sort of emotion around, you know, can we repurpose this? Um, and I think at the end of the day, you know, we, I, I sort of inherited the name, right? I acquired this company uh, at a young age and, and didn't really love the name, to be honest. It, 
it, it became this sort of uh, signal for the challenges we were facing as an organization at different times. And I appreciate that, you know, we were res resilient through a lot of things in our early days or even when we moved into our facility here. Um, but uh, it gave us a chance to sort of revisit if six letters really determined who we were. And um, a little bit of a fun nugget, my dog who uh, was alive at the time became the mascot. And so his name was Shaka. And so we always had this sort of hang loose, good vibes sort of spirit. Um, and so when we approached this idea of changing the name so that we could enter the U.S., uh, that was sort of the default was Shaka Gelato. Um, so we threw it around a little bit and, and we said there's probably something else there. And so when you walk into production, it says, you know, quality means doing the right thing. And, and, uh, and for our team, you know, this idea of doing the right thing was always at sort of the center of, of who we are and what we stand for. And so that sort of started to snowball into these other ideas and uh, on the stairs going up to production, it says create something that'll make, or up to the offices, it says create something that'll make the world more awesome. And so this awesome and, you know, Shaka and all these things. So grew up uh, loving skate, surf, snow culture and, uh, and seeing enough guys do this and say righteous when they're pulling off a trick that, you know, maybe was better than expected or, or you know, you knew it was going to be good. Um, was kind of, you know, who we were. People taste our product all the time. And if it's their first time, we shot this whole thing with you, you know, like, you know, their first taste. And, uh, and people are like, wow, this is impressive, you know? And so uh, by accident was watching Finding Nemo one night and, uh, uh, you know, Crush is going through the waves and says, righteous. And I'm just like, there it is, you know? And so did a bit of discovery on it and, and kind of got the team to say, you know, this, this really is who we are. Um, so to begin again as, as Righteous was pretty special for us. And, and I think a lot of our close fans were excited about the new name and, and those that didn't know us loved the name. And, and at the end of the day, we didn't change too much about, you know, the architecture of the packaging. And, and so when I advised people, I, you know, I asked them to, you know, Think, think about what really matters to the, the fan in the process. And for us, it was, you know, what we do in the community and what we stand for and um, a great product and this clear jar with a black lid. And so I always joke that, you know, that would be the second choice for a name is clear jar black lid. <laughs> <laughs> Easy to relate to, but um, was a lot harder before we did it. And then after there was so much relief and, uh, and freedom. So now we're in the US, we have about 600 retailers that carry our product and uh, everywhere in Canada. And um, yeah, it's pretty righteous. Right on, right <laughs> on. So from, from 2009, when you were just a, scoop, a single yeah. scoop shop in Calgary, to now 2023 it is right? yeah um you know it, it that's such a it's it's a big change to go from a single scoop shop to a cpg brand that's you know all across north america yeah um one of the things i find interesting is that your packaging is all transparent which you just mm -hmm. touched on um how like you know talk to me about how important that is not only from a product perspective but also how does that transparency kind of value yeah. uh, seep into the rest of your brand. Yeah, and I talked a little bit about emulation earlier, and I think there's an opportunity for brands to showcase that in their packaging. So you see it when uh, an eco-friendly brand like Tentry or something like that, you know, they, they do a good job of making sure that that permeates, whether it's the tag that it's on or where it's manufactured. And so for us, um, you know, plastic's got a pretty bad wrap these days, and so we have to consider that and we're using some post-consumer materials within it and in our cafe or on the trucks it's always compostable because we can do that unfortunately we can't put a compostable package on the freezer shelf it would uh, disintegrate before it got got home with you but um, uh, that clearness for us is is twofold one is you get to see what's inside and you don't have to play a guessing game not a lot of people know, but when ice cream pints are made, they get flipped upside down. And so there's, if there's any air bubbles, it's always at the bottom. So you'd never see it until you either cut it in half or, or it melts away. And for us, we've got to have this attention to detail where you can see the product. You know, the color's got to be vibrant, which is all natural for us. And then at the end, you've got this beautiful vessel to repurpose. And so we have RecycleRighteous.com or RecycleHappiness.com. And you can go on there and see some photos that people have reused our, our containers. So um, it's kind of cool to know that, you know, this joy comes from the packaging even after it's done. I think back to my early days of falling in love with brands and 
keeping a Nike shoe box or, or even your iPhone, you know, this beautiful vessel um, that you didn't want to discard, but really it was, you know, just recycling materials. So, so I think uh, there's that. And then also the freshness of the product when you can reseal it, uh, keeps fresher for longer. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. There's got to be there's got to be hundreds of thousands, if not you know more, uh, ice cream gelato brands out in the world, Canada, whatever the case may be. Yeah. What makes yours stand out from the rest? Yeah, I I say uh, often that our brand is is kind of this this unfolding. Tony Shea has a quote that's you know great brands are always a story that you know keeps unfolding, and and for us. I think you you might identify with the the beautifulness of the package on the shelf or if you come by and visit the team you might fall in love with the energy or or sort of how how you feel and and how you're treated and i think all these attributing factors lead to this discovery of the brand so it's kind of like an onion you peel back one layer then the next then the next and uh i think for our our company we've been fortunate enough to continue to parlay this energy or story or values sort of connection to people that they keep coming back for more. At the end of the day, I know that we make the best product and I would say there's a lot of great products out there. Um, but what I think keeps people coming back more than anything, even our B Corp certification or what we stand for is how good the product is. And I think that's a, a really important lesson for a lot of brands. You know, they sort of hinge on on the um the values piece or you know their their community give back and and uh, i would say those are all amazing things and at the end of the day the product has to stand up or perform to the level that uh, people expect it to so i think uh, our goal is always to exceed expectation and when i try a product from someone else i'm you know i'm sometimes delighted with how good it is uh, but i often am you know, if, if they've got a really good values-based story or something, sometimes that doesn't align to the quality. So I just think make the best product possible and people will fall in love with that. And, and uh, then the other pieces of the brand can start to tell those stories. So Awesome. Mm -hmm. You started that by quoting Tony Shea. Yeah. Um, for those of who for those viewers who don't know who tony shea is sure tell me about that and then also you recently received a reward or an award sorry mm -hmm. uh called the tony shea award yeah Let's talk about that pretty wild so for those that don't know tony in canada mostly uh tony was the founder of zappos.com and so um early on in my career i discovered a book he had written called delivering happiness and there's a long story behind it but he got to a point where he just wanted to create this level of customer service that was so above and beyond and in the process create a workplace that people would love to come to um so at a very young age in my career you know this was 2011 i realized you know we can do something similar to that and why like why couldn't we was really the question there's a thousand people working at zappos when i went there and I think we had eight people. You might have been one at the time. Um, so it was uh, it was pretty cool to just see this thing in, in real life. And uh, Tony's always been an inspiration. He's thought differently. He's really pushed the boundaries a lot of the time. Um, you know, most notably launched Holacracy within their organization. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's just a hero for me in the business sense because um, he challenged the way that business exists. And I think... What I learned the most from him was that, you know, business doesn't have to be business and adhere to those principles as much as business is people. And, you know, if we treat each other the way we want to be treated and uh, act in sort of the, the best way possible for those involved, that good things will happen. Um, so, yeah, Tony tragically uh, and unexpectedly passed away in 2020. Um, and uh, it was it was hard. You know, there's there's so many people we encounter whether that's loved ones or or people in the public eye that we identify with another one would be anthony bourdain as well um, they teach you a lot and they don't even know that they've taught you these things and so um shortly after i uh we had got a new dog shaka had passed away about a year before two years before year and a half and uh i asked my wife if we could name him tony because um, I'm a big believer in sort of spiritual energy and these things that exist in the world 
energy is never created nor destroyed, just repurposed, right? And, and uh, so I have this 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 embodiment of of Tony, and uh, not a day goes by where I don't think about him and and try to put into practice all the lessons I've learned. Um, so yeah, at the gathering just uh, a few weeks ago, um, they have a a gala and they nominate all these brands that are larger than life, like. NFL and Marvel and stuff and uh, they presented me with this award called the Tony Award um, and the definition of the award is someone that's living on Tony's legacy sort of on the fringe doing their own thing sort of taking those lessons and making them even better in some ways um, so pretty pretty special and, and feel honored and I think one of my last things was promising you know that we would continue to do that great work and try to change the world through uh, great employment practices. And, and uh, yeah, I think not going to business school, not having an MBA, uh, never really working for a big corporation. I did for like a hot minute one time. Left there, I like left my tie on my desk on day 87. True story. Uh, allows me to sort of have that childish sort of approach to uh, corporate culture. I think that, uh, kids get to dream and color outside the lines and, and be far more creative. And, and I think every time I, I get stuck on a decision, I just think about, you know, creating a company that I'd want to work for, or I'd want my mom or dad to work for and, or you to work for and, and, uh, try to just have a, a better impact on the world than others. So. Right on. And you just so happen to do it via gelato. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty lucky. Actually. I think about that a lot. It's like, I kind of joke with the team sometimes. It's like if uh, if we made staplers, like they'd be rad staplers. <laughs> so many colors, uh, lifetime guarantee. It always work. If it didn't, you call us. We'd hook you up, um, and the world would be better because staplers kind of suck right now. So yeah, fair enough. It's a free business idea. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to do water bottles. Yeti showed up. They they did a good job. Or coolers. They're killing the game. We love them, um, but. I think that's, you know, when you, when you find a great product, like I just brought up Yeti, um, serving a purpose of, of something very simple, but at the end of the day, over delivering on the expectation or quality. And from the people I know that work for that company, they, they're ride or die. And, and I think that's, that's always the testament, you know, companies can look good on the product side sometimes, but not have the, the alignment on the culture side. And, um, yeah, I just, I hope that everyone realizes it's possible. Um, it might make a few less dollars than the, the corporations at the end of the day paying fat bonuses to, uh, to folks. But um, yeah, there's, there's a more enjoyable version of, of business where you take care of people. So absolutely. Yeah, see, you told the story of how you kind of fell into entrepreneurship, really. Um, was were you always entrepreneurial was did that start at a young age what did that look like yeah uh, I grew up in in uh, Woodlands which uh, off-camera you and I have shared often so uh, for those listening or, or viewing uh, kind of a crazy story that the street I, I grew up on is the street that Aiden grew up on yeah. different circumstances but uh, uh, kind of a cool kindred sort of spirit story um, but um, yeah down in, in Woodbine or Woodlands uh, we didn't have a lot and sometimes we didn't have power so my dad and I would uh, go to the Woodbine Safeway and jerry-rig the locks on the green bins the recycling bins and I'd climb inside and, and get a few bottles out and we'd take them back to the bottle depot on Horton Road and and uh, that was kind of Horton I think, Road yeah <laughs> Uh, that was kind of the, the reality for me is at a young age, not knowing any better, just realizing like if there's a well, there's a way and, and, um, you know, not having a lot growing up and then not having even the, uh, idea or understanding that it was strange that we were doing this or different. I shouldn't even say strange. Um, I think parlayed into a lot of things. So when I was young, I saw a kid shoveling the walk through my window and, grabbed a shovel I think I was like eight years old and asked the next person how much how much will you pay me and it was two bucks at the time I had some kid come by last week he wanted to charge me 20 bucks for my sidewalk I was like ooh, inflation <laughs> that was wild um but um but yeah just getting into that and uh and then my sort of 
famous one with my friends was I put on my first punk rock show at the Malti when I was 14 and uh, made a couple hundred bucks and sold out the show and a lot of word of mouth marketing and bands that everybody liked to see. And uh, from there I started a distro, so it was uh, called Lonely Street Records. I was super emo, you know, my hair was across my face and nails painted and all that, but no, right on. I would consign bands, uh, CDs and records for, you know, they, they'd sell them to me for eight bucks and I'd, I'd sell them for 11. And so I had this thing where you'd come to a show and you might've missed the band a couple of weeks prior and I would then have the record and, and you could buy it. And uh, yeah, that was like, again, I was way sort of ahead of my time on business, but I think what I always sort of come back to was everything sort of tied back to like doing something good or trying to help in some way to build community. Um, and so throughout my journey, it just kind of always came to that. So whether it was my, you know, makeshift design agency or uh, they used to call me Skipper at, at Sunterra, my first job when I was 14, because I'd be there on a Thursday and it'd be like a PD day or whatever. I'd take the bus to work and help my dad at the store. And and uh, I think I always like to be busy. I like the idea that, again, you can, the great thing about money is you can always make more. And, and when you have a few bucks in your pocket, you can, you know, change your own life in a, in a major way. And it doesn't have to be eccentric. And then you can afford the opportunity to do things for others as well. So, yeah, I think just, I always encourage that, like at an early age, you know, whether you have a brother, sister, right? <laughs> uh, there's always a job and uh, you just got to find someone that's going to give them a shot. And I got my shot from a, a guy named Tim Douglas on, a, on my 14th birthday. And, and I think uh, I look to repay that favor every day. So some. You touched a little bit on community there. And I know that's a super important piece for, <laughs> for Righteous and, and you ultimately. Um, has that always been the case? You know, is what's the foundation of your community and why is it so important? Yeah, great question. Uh, again, growing up uh, in low-income housing, there was some public services. We used the food bank as an example. Um, and so I think consciously or even subconsciously, I knew these things existed. And uh, as soon as I had the sort of means or opportunity to, uh, I don't like the term give back. It's weird because it's accurate for me, but I don't think it's that for everyone. So I like the, to use the word like investment. I learned this from a lady named Lucy Miller one time um, from United Way, and it's like give back implies that you took something, um, but the reality is is that more often than not, you're just looking to invest in that community. And so I think it was pretty early on that we identified we could, we could do something in our community, and one of the early ones was when the floods happened in 2013, and you know, saying, what can we do? And we just started this food truck agency called YYC Food Trucks. So we helped rally a lot of the trucks to go down and feed first line responders and the gelato truck because it wasn't so much gelato time <laughs> during the floods. Uh, we served soup and coffee and, uh, and just tried to help out that way and then created some products that got listed with Calgary Co-op and we had this values alignment and raised some money for them. And, and uh, yeah, at the, the center of our, our company, we've always just, you know, found a way to yes to support organizations. And as we've grown, we've formalized it a bit more into uh, four pillars. So ending domestic violence, because you can end it. And I think that's important. Reducing poverty. So the reason for reducing versus ending is that uh, some people want to live in poverty and it's not our choice whether they do or don't. I think we always seek to help those on the fringe like my dad was when I was young, um, supporting grassroots organizations. And so you know, we look at a lot of stuff around the BLM movement or, or now a lot of stuff around DEI and really a, um, a call to action for, for organizations not to just have a one-size-fits-all strategy to supporting community, but also um, realize there's underserved communities within the community. And then last but not least, just anything to do with kids. I mean, at the end of the day, I make ice cream and we call it gelato, which is a fancy version of it. Um, but it's enjoyable. And I think at the end of the day, like we've just got this wicked opportunity to do that. So this year, I think we're up to 175 organizations we've supported in some way, shape or form. Um, I met somebody at the gathering while I was receiving the award and she worked for the Calgary Food Bank. And she said every time Righteous showed up, uh, she always wanted to be there to give it to the, they call them clients, but 
you know, people like my dad and I when I was younger. And I always joke like that that was the pizza pops for me when I was younger. If I got pizza pops in our hamper, I was I was so so jazzed and uh and to know that righteous is doing that is is pretty pretty impressive so how do you how do you decide what to give to you know there's so many great organizations doing so many great things and so much great work um yeah how do you make that decision yeah i think uh if i were to sort of systemize it a little bit more um more as advice sort of i'll add a lesson in some context but um I think the organization, or if you know you're a solopreneur or whatever, it's gotta, it's gotta resonate with you. I don't think you should just support things because they don't. So everything that we support in, in one way, shape, or form aligns with those pillars. I mean, when you say anything to do with kids, almost everything does in some way. Um, and it's gotta resonate with the team. Like it can't just be about me. And that's where you know the custodian job title comes from. The custodian of culture is uh, I want it to be about more than me and I've always sort of encouraged the team to share um, what's important to them um, we do get asked for a lot and sometimes we we politely decline um, I think the the decision to support or not to support um, for us really comes down to what's what's the ask uh, we got to a point where we had uh, we created an online um, uh, form and the reason was you get an email and they you know, someone blasted off to like 200 companies and they say, Hey, fill out this form. And they never fill it out. And so you're like, okay, if you can't fill out a form, I can't really help you kind of thing. Like, you know, you got to put in a little bit of work. Um, but more often than not, we hear these amazing stories about how, you know, righteous was involved in something that had to do with something important to us and how it resonated. Like I said, with the food bank, I think as we continue to evolve, we've got a thing called the community investment cohort. Um, we're evaluating how we maybe go a little bit deeper and not as wide. And so we're trying to best understand, you know, how we show up in the world and, and have a tremendous impact on sort of one focal point. So like Patagonia, 1% for the planet, it's very focused. Um, that for us, uh, in turn, we, we invest 1% of our total revenue back into the communities we serve. So we're asking, does it is it best tied to uh, a purchase, you know, for every pint sold kind of idea? We invest this. Uh, now we live in a day and age too where, you know, people are a little bit apprehensive to talk about the work they're doing because they don't want to, you know, be virtue signaling or get judged on that. I'm still, like, if it's consistent, I'm a huge fan. And, and I think when a company like Shaw donates a million bucks to the Red Cross during the floods, like I'm in their corner, like you, someone might judge that, like they're just trying to signal something. I said, well, they still had to give a million bucks to the Red Cross. So, <laughs> yeah. so I, I think at the end of the day, my, my cues would be, you know, make sure it resonates with, with you and your organization and your team. Um, be confident in the, the impact you're having. Like it's bigger than I think a lot of people realize. And uh, have some fun with it. Like whenever we, had done the breakfast program or uh you know been at the drop-in or serving dinner at the mustard seed or all these things like you get to interact with with folks that generally people don't say hi to and and i think those those are always the touching moments where you add some dignity to the equation and and um, help inspire others to do it and uh the other thing i'll i'll add is uh, we call it our giving gang, but it's uh, our investment in community. So every team member has uh, 20 hours that they can get paid to do work in the community. And we often orchestrate things so it's easier for people. Not a lot of people know how to volunteer as well. And uh, with that, we see people's families come along or friends or loved ones. And, and I think, again, opening it up so it's a bit wider uh, has a, a great impact where they can take that back to their community too. And and uh and continue to further it so yeah yeah I, th I think there's there's so many great outcomes of of doing this work right like it, it builds obviously the, the giving back piece which for lack of better terms no it's good it's it's the right term a lot of the time yeah so. yeah and but also the the side that you know you're you're uh you're building more culture in your own organization as well right the people that are that are doing this together are, you know, learning more about each other, learning more about giving back, doing all these things that are yeah. just positive in general. So. And I said something provocative in my, my keynote at the gathering too. I said, uh, people don't really realize that 
uh, giving, not giving back, maybe just giving, uh, is somewhat selfish. You know, we, we underestimate the power of doing good in the world. Um, I think you could agree, and, and most would, that when you do those things, you feel really good. You feel, you know, these, this dopamine hit of, of um, you know, life is hard and I've done something good with my time uh, or resources. And so I think just calling attention to that, that um, doing good also serves you, um, shouldn't be lost on people. I think uh, mental health, you know, it's, it's, it's very prevalent now and, and that might be a coping mechanism for someone to, to be active in the community or involved um, in different ways. And, and uh, I said it before, but something as simple as, you know, treating somebody with dignity you know, it's not about the money you donate or, or the hours you invest, but um, just making somebody feel valued or loved um, can go a long way. So we do uh, Big Brothers, Big Sisters. We like write cards. We're pen pals with some folks, which is pretty rad. You have to go through like a police check and stuff. It's yeah. pretty crazy. <laughs> um, and we got a seniors one that we we're just teeing up for Christmas where we just write Christmas cards to like seniors and like that costs no money. There's no, there's no like... ROI. There's no measurements on this stuff, but like the team loves it because they know they're bringing joy to somebody. And that's, again, why everybody is a part of this at the end of the day. They might get paid well and love their free gelato or, or lunch every day, but I think the values alignment keeps people uh, invested in the business. And I think to your point, that's an unintended outcome, I call it. Like I didn't, I didn't say let's do work in the community so we can have a retention strategy for people. We just do work in the community and the unintended outcome is that people feel like their values and uh, and their their purpose for being sort of belongs here. Um, and again, don't get too like sharp on the measurement piece because uh, I think sometimes it's like, well, you know, what is what does this look like on a PNL and balance sheet? And I I hope before I I pass at some point in my life, uh, we've we've added a third one. So you got your income statement, you got your balance sheet, and then you got this you know, return on community or your return on, on the world. And, you know, how do we measure that? So incredible. Yeah. All these, all these things we've discussed so far really point towards the strength of culture mm -hmm. in, in your organization. Um, and it's, it's interesting to me, you, you chose to go with fairly non-traditional titles. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Talk For to me sure. about those titles. I know. I mean, we already discussed the uh, chief empowerment officer, but yeah. I know custodian of culture, like why? Yeah, I was on a call today, ironically, and it came up that this company we were, we were talking about didn't have traditional titles or none at all. And I think there's sort of two things to consider because there's a lot of critics when it comes to it. Um, one is that external facing, uh, sometimes you need them, right? So uh, I, unfortunately, for investors or the bank, have to be the CEO. Um, but I never went to school for being a CEO. I've never been a CEO before. And so early on, I was like, how do I not be serious about the serious title? And so originally it was gelato aficionado. And then like, I was like non-CEO, like not, not a thing. And then I stumbled upon this like aha moment of like chief empowerment officer. Cause that's really what I do every day. It's not, um, I'm not an executive officer where I'm like telling people what to do. I'm just giving them, you know, a, a canvas and some guidance and, and uh, asking good questions and supporting them. And then the other one that I mentioned earlier was custodian of culture. And that's been uh, one of my favorites because the evolution of the culture that gets to this point where the culture really isn't me or like I don't own the culture. The culture is the sum of all the parts. And uh, once in a while, they, you know, the team will make a bad decision and, and it's like clean up on aisle six. And uh, I got to come by with the mop bucket and and mop it up as a custodian would and, and, uh, and make it look, you know, uh, make sense again. And, uh, and then we continue on. So I think that's one of my more prouder titles, but you know, uh, Shannon's is like director of wow. Um, there are some roles where they are a little bit more traditional like finance. Um, but even, you know, back in year day partner relations specialist, um, customers are not customers to us, they're partners. And, and I think it's just asking, what are you really looking to achieve? Um, one of the things that I think is important as I've grown in understanding other people's careers, though, is that they do need to tie it back to 
a true title. Um, you know, if they go on to pursue a, a new career or um, are looking for something new that, that they need a title. So you can have both is what I would say. And, uh, and don't, uh, don't take yourself too seriously. It's <laughs> the biggest thing. Right? Yeah. hundred percent. Right yeah. Um, you said something in there that resonates and it was along the same concept as, um, you know, don't give somebody the food, but teach them how to fish. I forget exactly how that saying goes. Sure. Uh, but, uh, I'm curious as to, you, you know, you're talking about how you ask the right questions to empower your staff and those, those around right. you. Um, how does one learn how to do that? It's, I think that's a super valuable skill that a lot of people don't. I think in my journey and what I experience sometimes with others is as humans, we're always trying to showcase our intelligence. Um, you know, there's this inadequacy we feel in a lot of spots and and what that attributes to is is maybe asking less questions and trying to signal evidently, you know, that we have knowledge. And so instead of asking questions that even we might know the answer to, uh, we decide that we're just gonna say it out loud. And so uh, many companies, I won't say most, but many companies uh, act that way. Someone's got this vision and then they've got their idea of how it's going to be executed and then they end up in the spot where they hire really intelligent smart talented people and instead of hiring them for those things they hire them to tell them how to do things uh, and i think there's there's sort of this this comedy around it for me it's like uh i don't know very much um i might know of some things better than others but even if I have a clear vision of how I want to do something unless I ask someone who's going to execute it or play a role in the creative sort of side to it what their take is I might miss something and so I think that's sort of the tragedy of uh of teams these days and there's like so many words that came to mind like talent or HR or like all these little I just want to vomit sometimes, but I'm just like, man, like, like you, you're like, think about your team. You've got like people that are really good at what they do. You aren't like, oh, this guy sucks. Let's hire him and like hope it works out, you know? Uh, so I, I think when you get to a point, and this is probably a confidence thing, um, or, or removing of ego thing where even when you know the answer, you can ask the question. And so I'll even take it like super far, like be talking to somebody new and they'll be excited and they'll be like, oh, I went to the Taylor Swift movie. I was like, who's Taylor Swift? And then they're like, what? And then they'll like explain to me who Taylor Swift is. And obviously I know who Taylor <laughs> Swift is, but it's just so funny to like be in that moment where it's like, I didn't have to signal something. And when you ask people, even if they, won't even believe you that you don't know the answer they might tell you their version of it and i think that uh it takes a lot of practice so that's why sometimes i joke and uh mandy will make fun of me in public because she's like why like why would you do that he's i like i'm i'm honestly i'm just trying to like have that energy around me that it's not like i know the answer like if you ask me and you want to know the answer then i'll obviously give you the answer like if you're asking me directions to somewhere, I'm not gonna be like, "What do you think? Which way? Which way do you think the saddle dome is?" You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but in practice, when you when you get people to answer their own questions, I think uh, they almost always know the answer. That's that's another funny part of of the whole thing. They're just looking for some validation too. So, do yeah. all people react positively to that approach in your experience? Uh, I mean, you you asked a pretty like general question like 60% of the time it works all the time. Um, I'm, I'm sure it doesn't always work. Um, what, I, what I do know to be true is when you get in a habit of supplying answers, your team may fall into a habit of, of not challenging themselves enough because they know that you will sort of do that. And so I would say, you know, vul vulnerably, for my team, um, in the creative process, sometimes we end up there. 
because that's something I'm very sort of attached to. Um, but it doesn't mean that I'm not asking them. So I'll give you an example. Uh, so hopefully by the time this, this airs, um, call Righteous, and I want you to tell me if the voicemail you hear is Righteous. And we had to call the office recently on a trip, and I was with the marketing team. We called, and we got the voicemail, and I just like hung up the phone, and I was like, out of 10, how good was that? Six out of 10. And you're like, shit, like what a easy opportunity to get something so right, and we sort of missed the mark, and then I don't know what it would be, but I, I, this is sort of a big tangent, but I think it's like the idea that I buy gelato. Like I go to the store and I buy gelato. People are like, why would you buy it? You get it all for free. And I'm like, I wanna take it off the shelf. I wanna know how that goes. I wanna get to the till. I wanna see if the cashier asks me, why are you buying this? Or like, you know, like undercover boss a little bit. And then I get to tell this story again of like, oh, it's my favorite product. I'm a huge fan. And they're like, I've never had it. You know, it's too expensive or whatever. And then I get to give them a coupon and say, you know, next one's on me kind of idea. Um, but I think too many brands get complacent or, or leaders get complacent where they don't experience their, their own brand. So that was sort of a tangent away from your question about the response of, of prodding for uh, an answer. And I think uh, the more that we encourage people to be free thinking and to like own their voice, um, it's a big one. And maybe I'll add one more thing just because I thought about it. So we're going through planning right now. And there's a lot of complexity because the economic environment and yada, yada, yada. So I said to the team on the last call, I said, I want everyone to send me what they would like for 24 for the selfishly for the company and for themselves. And then, and then someone said, uh, well, like, what are you, what, like, what's the point? Like, what's the purpose? And I said, cause I want to know that there's alignment in what it is that you want for this organization. So it's not like I have a democratic company, but their opinion, voice, desires, wants, needs all apply. And I will tell you unanimously, the team shared some pretty simple things, you know, a little bit of relief, a little bit of less stress around growth, um, some resource things that, you know, we know we need to upgrade or, or improve. Um, but that sort of call to action of, of something uh, can really change the game. And selfishly it's like now I don't have to guess like I literally I was like okay here's my list and I, I said this when I accepted the, the Tony award um, you know I didn't start a company to have people come work for me um, I think a lot of my life I felt this way and it's I started it where I could serve others and that comes in so many forms here right it's like as an employer uh, as a leader as a, a mentor uh, all the customers we serve, all the partners in our business, like there's a chance for us to show up for a lot of people. And, and, um, I think that's what I get the most joy out of in life. So you touched on it a couple of times there. Um, you know, going into a store and pretending you're a customer <laughs> or, uh, you know, getting that feedback from, from your staff or, or your customers. How do you, obviously to create a great product, you, you need to take feedback and you need to act on that feedback and improve your product and all of these different things. How do you, um, how do you foster that constant improvement mentality, uh, both within your team, but also, you know, getting that out of your customers? Yeah. Two, two thoughts come to mind. One is capability. So, uh, I think about like online banking a little bit. So this is my, I love context. So banks have unlimited resource and uh, all they really need to do, airlines is another example, all they really need to do is turn to their best competitor and say, what are they doing better? And so this comes back to resource. Can we do that? Are we capable of doing that? And if you answer yes to all those things, then why wouldn't you just do that? Um, I think as a small business, so you know, a lot of friends in the community, whether it's coffee or local laundry or whoever, right? At some point, there's, there's a resource constraint. Where can you manufacture? What are the minimum quantities? Do you make it yourself? Yada, yada, yada. There's so many things. So then it's getting honest with, you know, what, what are we doing today that sort of fosters us to get to that place? 
I think to your point of, of uh, the mentality around it, asking that question to the team is, you know, like the voicemail thing, is this our best work? Um, so for us, I'm sure there was a time where the gelato just was pretty okay. And we probably had to like uh, do a lot of work in the community and foster this energy around, we wanna support those guys, they're doing a good job. Um, but nowadays it's, it's like we have some of the best equipment. Uh, our, our manufacturing facility has all the certifications, the quality, the safety, everything is just like A1. Um, and we taste all the competition very often. Like there's a freezer over there that's loaded with everyone else. And so we taste it and we're like, is it really good? If not, why not? Should we do this? Can we do it better? So like a flavor like coffee, 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 it's like people love haagen coffee. And we're like, can we do it better? And I'll leave it up to you to tell me if we did. Uh, cookies and cream, everybody wanted inclusions. You know, they loved their Ben and Jerry's experience. How can we do that? Again, we, we need some more equipment to go as far as Ben and Jerry's has gone on the inclusions. Those are the pieces in the, in the gelato. Um, but I think if you have a reference point and you have the resource, then there's no reason not to, to be able to do that. So I think teaching that, uh, I say repetition is, is retention. And so I think in everything you do, it's gotta, it's gotta somewhat exist. So I don't know how you felt when you, you know, came into the cafe earlier, you come into the space, but, um, if it doesn't align with who we are, you, you would feel it. And I think that, uh, that consistency is what sort of breeds or, or manifests that, that mentality. So, yeah. Interesting. You're talking about flavors and improvement, that sort of thing. Um, and you also touched on the, your creative process a little bit earlier. Let's, let's explore that. What is that? What does the creative process look like at Righteous? Yeah, I think, uh, well, pretty early on, everyone's sort of invited to, to voice their opinion or, or say what they love or don't love about the things that we do. Um, which can extend far beyond just flavors. Uh, we do a little bit of market research. We understand sort of what's working, what's not for other people. I always say you don't have to be first, you just have to be best. And, uh, and so again, back to the resource, we would love tomorrow to have a bunch of bars and cones and all the things that people have to hold with one hand and hold their phone in the other. <laughs> we call them one-handers now. Um, but we don't have that equipment yet. And so we've got to get to a point where we can do that. Uh, when it comes to new flavors, uh, we launched blueberry limeade, which no one else makes that flavor. And the reason we did is because we knew it tastes so good. Uh, our reference point is raspberry lime. People love that flavor. Yeah, we, we do a good job on the, on the fruit-based uh, sorbets or sorbettos. Um, and sometimes it, it isn't the right decision. So um, coffee, I, I love. The sales are not where Hagen does are yet, uh, so you know there's maybe a, a super loyal following. I don't think it has to do with flavor, but maybe a bit of that obscureness has served us well. You know, no one's doing raspberry lime or mango pineapple or those types of flavors. Uh, we're super honest in the process about taste, so we do like a ton of tasting internally because we are our best critics. Um, we have professional taste testers, so they come by, they pick up a kit, and it's got all these just numbered things and we declare if there's you know anything to be worried about if there's milk like a small allergen how does one get certified in that <laughs> yeah well it's it's fun i mean you can apply online and uh it's so fun when people come by too because it's like all walks of life like every age gender uh identification and and they just like get hooked up and then they get to provide some information back so um one thing we definitely do not do is get caught up in the hype so we've never made a keto flavor, and uh, you know, Halo Top was was huge for a while, non-existent now in a, in a lot of ways. But um, I think answering for ourselves, we're proud of this product. We know it's delicious. Uh, we're proud of it. Uh, those are those are the pieces. But again, it's it's very democratic. There's there's a lot of people involved in the team. Um, literally everyone at some point. So we do team lunch every day, and usually tastings of. New products will happen around that. Um, and then the constant improvement comes in big time. So a flavor that we might have thought was good two or three years ago, we're always trying to find a way to make it better. Um, 
because I think what's sort of great today is only good tomorrow. And uh, that's what competitors do. They try to copy something you did well yesterday, not what you're doing today or tomorrow too. So yeah, but a lot of gelato. People always ask how often do you eat gelato? And I say almost every day. So is that true? Yeah. Wow. Right so on. good. <laughs> yeah. I'm not like smashing a pint, but, uh, but definitely, uh, definitely tasting. Uh, and, um, well stocked at home. I got like literally a drawer that's only in the only gelato in the house. You need to. Yeah. Be questioning it if you didn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny when you go to a palace house and you bring, you bring some gelato and they're like, oh, I'll just put this in the freezer. They're like, no, 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 don't touch. And then you open it, you roll it back. You're like, what the, you know? And they're like, oh man, I love that flavor. So like, so delicious makes this coconut cashew salted caramel. And I'm like, we're coming for you. Yeah. That's the next flavor. Hey, that's good. There's the constant improvement <laughs> mentality. Right? Just go to more dinner yeah, parties. Yeah, because at the end of the day, I mean, I, even if they watch this, I would tell them, you know, whoever's in charge, Mr. So Delicious. <laughs> like, it's all right, but it could be better, man. Like, and that's the thing is that I think these big CPG companies, their first metric of, of products they create is price. Can we make it like here, here's the threshold. And for us, we start with flavor, taste, quality, then we price it, and then we say, okay, what do we need to do to get to this point? So like if I put 10 million raspberries in a pint, or I put, I don't know what the ratio is that's proper, one's gonna make sense for the business and one is just obscene, right? So there's a balance between, it's like when dishes are too salty or like things like there's a balance of things. Um, and so just, just starting with a great product and we made products that we can't like, like dairy pistachio. We did plant-based pistachio, which was great, but there's not a big market there. Um, but like our dairy pistachio or dairy, like our gelato hazelnut pistachio, they're just so expensive. Like like we can't, we can't sell it and make it make sense for the business. Um, so we have some thresholds on, on costing. But usually the team works super hard to, to make sense of it and, and decide on things. So, You ever released a flavor that was just an absolute flop? Yeah, lots. <laughs> I mean, back in the day, we used to get to do pretty cool stuff in the restaurants and like have fun with chefs and there's some crazy stuff out there. But um, blueberry basil, still like my no, ride or die. I love it. Uh, people love it. Like it's like the... It's like the off-color Air Jordans. Like everyone who loves it loves it, and then other people will be like, "That that was dumb. Like, why'd you do that?" So, there's there's again in the CPG world, there's there's a level of expectation of um, velocity or turns, how many sell, and sometimes things are a bit too unique. There, uh, watermelon mint was uh, another one that was just slapped. It was so good. <laughs> it was so good. Um, but again, it was like, I think a bit of the consistency, there's a lot of water in it. So it, it was a bit harder than we would have liked. Um, yeah, it's interesting sometimes like, like frozen hot chocolate right now, we're, we're winding down for a minute. It's taken a pause, uh, cause the marshmallow ingredient has this like 0.001 thing that is rated by the FDA is like unsafe. It's like, oh my gosh, like. Okay, so like we, we, we're super religious about inputs, so ingredients, like no one should really have a question about it. Like uh, there's nothing artificial, we're like so serious about it. And, uh, and so when it gets sort of flagged, that's like, okay, well, what are our other options on this? And until we can, we can honor that, we, we just said, you know, we're gonna pause this one. And so might come back with no marshmallows, but we'll see. Just frozen hot chocolate with yeah. marshmallows. Yeah. yeah, gotcha. Yeah, right on. Yeah, um, add your own. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, that's, that's that's fun. Um, you mentioned early on in the in the kind of come up story, if you will. Uh, you know, you're no stranger to facing adversity. Um, I'm curious how you how you approach you know unexpected or hardships um, that that you can't control. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I think I alluded to it early on. I feel weirdly fortunate that there was a lot when I was younger. So uh, I've always sort of talked about being resilient as a bit of a muscle. So you got to flex it enough to understand that it works. And, and uh, I mean, there's all kinds of books out there about Navy SEALs and 
you know, when you think you're going to die, you're only 60% dead and like all this stuff. Right. So, um, I think for anyone realizing that when you're going through tough times, it's serving a greater purpose, um, has always resonated with me. And so, uh, for example, you know, we, we were almost out of business before we started the fire in 2009 and then went through a lot of challenges during the, the floods and then, uh, you know, a recession there too. And, and then the fire in 2015 in our facility, I think that was, that was one of the hardest ones, but all those moments sort of gave us the strength to overcome some tough stuff. So, uh, when the pandemic started, it was like everyone's scrambling, like, how do you react? How do you show up for your people? What do you do? What's happening to the business community, all this stuff. And, uh, I felt like, you know, we didn't have one, but it's like, we took a playbook off the shelf. Like, okay, we've been here before unforeseen circumstances, imperfect, you know, one day at a time, you know, keep the, the energy and the vibes high, focus on the team make sure that, you know, communication, transparency, all those things sort of exist. And, and, um, I think it's just, you know, we, we wish as humans, we understood this more, but there's lots of things we can't control. And, and sometimes we just have to, um, uh, not succumb to them, but say, you know, what, what within this framework can we control? So I think for myself and, and for the organization, uh, there was a, a thing I did one time where I'm in a room of people, a bunch of young kids actually, it's for school. And I said, uh, I said, how many people in this room have felt like they've had one of the most dark days of their life that they never thought they'd survive it. And everybody raised their hand, janitor, everybody's raising their hand. And I said, guess what? You're still here. So I think, uh, there's a, there's a lot of dark moments for people and, and even more palpable now with all the mental health sort of rising to the top. It's not like it wasn't there, but it became quite, uh, pervasive and, and, uh, even safe to speak about since the pandemic. And, and so I think just encouraging that sometimes you just need to take a rest and come back tomorrow and control what you can. Yeah. 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 It's interesting because people, people react differently in all of these scenarios, right? Like you have extremes on all ends and then you have the people that, you know, it's, it's, it's different for everybody, how they react mm -hmm. to these circumstances as a, as a leader, how do you maintain, you know, how do you maintain your composure, you know, when you're feeling those hardships personally as well? Yeah. Um, I said a quote in, in our, um, our video sort of talking about the fire back in 2016 and I just said it and it's always sort of stuck, stuck with me as, as the answer to that question. Um, the moments when you feel like, you know, it's the darkest for you, um, especially as a leader, um, you'll look around and someone will look you in the eye and you'll know that you need to be there for them. And so back to my, my sort of reason for being or, or my style of leadership, uh, I think being able to show up for others in those moments is what gets me through them. Um, and I think, again, it's not like... Uh, being in a position where you're, you're, you're not, uh, honest that you may not make it through or that you're like, don't worry guys, you know, like that's, that's not the, the attitude people need. They just need to be seen and heard and understood and, and know that, um, there's a bit of a plan. I think a lot of the times, um, cause they trust you. Right. And, uh, and I think that's what's probably served me the most is transparency, honesty, and vulnerability and, and, um, consistency, I think is what has got us through a lot of those times too. So, um, I'm always curious as to how somebody uh, shows up a hundred percent every day. <laughs> <laughs> you think I should, you think I show up a hundred percent every day? <laughs> what does that look like? You think, you? you think so? Oh man, that's, that's a, that's a compliment and a half. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, so, may, so maybe I'll repurpose it a little bit. Someone, someone, someone said to me not too long ago, they said, you, you always got a smile on your face. Why do you think that is? Because there are days where I show up and people are like, how, how are you? And I'm like, ah, 
seen better days, you know, kind of thing. I might still be smiling though. And, uh, and I think the reason I have that energy is a lot of gratitude. I think again, sharing a little bit about my journey today with you and you knew a lot before that, like my life is, is a total gift. Like I should have ended up in low income housing in Ogden and maybe hung out with not so favorable people and maybe made some bad decisions and used my entrepreneur skills to sell things that were not legal yet, <laughs> which I never did. So, <laughs> um, I guess now it's not so illegal. No, just kidding. Um, but the, the reality for me is, uh, I just, I feel so lucky, uh, to have the, like, I, j I joke, like I, I have all my limbs I can see in color. Uh, I developed this sense of humor somewhere in my life that has been fun to share with others. Uh, I'm very loved. Uh, I feel very connected to the people I, I get to work with. Um, I hired my dad. That's pretty cool. Uh, just like, like everything is just like pretty cool. And, uh, and even when it's hard, like it's so hard, there's like such hard days. Um, I still get to come back to this idea that I'm like so lucky. Um, so I think that that's the smile. The smile is like, I even getting to see here with you or, you know, the times when we hang out, like I get to hang out with you. Like that's, that's awesome for me. Um, cause it could have been so different at so many points of time. Uh, so yeah, it's the, the gratitude smile. So yeah. I feel like that smile is, is, you know, so many people look up to it. Um, speaking to, and you, you alluded to this just now, but success in general, what does that, what does that mean to you? What does that look like to you? What is, you know, how do you gauge it? Yeah. I mean, there's so many ways to cut that. Like whether you're talking about wealth or success or, or, you know, pride even, um, I think it's gotta be different for everyone. It's like someone trying to describe love like what what is love like there's a dictionary definition for all of these things but it's different for everyone based on their lived experiences and uh i would say for me success already exists um because i get to play a role in so many people's lives and uh hopefully it's been almost always positive you know i don't always get it right and and uh i think that's a, a big part of success for me um, I get to, uh, I'm able, you know, I think that's, that's a, a fortunate thing. I'm, I'm aging a bit and I'm trying to make sure I don't forget to do yoga every once in a while. Um, freedom is a big one for me. I think that being able to be, uh, an entrepreneur, um, and decide some things like you would know, you know, I work a lot and I also get to choose when I do that work a lot of the time. Um, having an impact in community, not, not for, um, my benefit, but as a, as a gesture to, um, doing something good in the world. So I think there's a lot there, but at the end of the day, I think it comes down to choice and, uh, getting to choose to do the things that I've got to do in my life. So I love that. Yeah. I think, you know, that, that choice is so important and it's so you know, not everybody has that. So I would agree that success is mm -hmm. it's like, it's a great measure. Yeah. And it'll, I, I think it'll always be measured by, um, there's that old quote. It's like, people don't remember what you did. They'll remember how you made them feel. And so for me, I, in in a similar, but different way, I hope that whatever it is that we do serve community, employ great humans, uh, you know, provide a, uh, a, a window into the future teach them new skills, um, allow them to be themselves, uh, whatever that looks like that at the end of the day, it, it had a, uh, a, a better impact. So it's the idea of like, leave it better than you found it kind of ideas. Yeah. What's next? <laughs> uh, I'm a live in the moment guy. Like I, I've, I've always got this, especially pre pandemic, like this crazy vision. Um, and I think, the trials and tribulations of the last few years have sort of 
reframe that if not you know i i'm responsible for thinking you know one three five years from now um for the business uh but personally i think it's um enjoying the moments one day at a time um i have no doubt that we'll continue to uh make an impression in the u.s and that'll create more opportunities to create impact in the world um i think there's so many wild ways that we can you know take this thing so uh virgin has always been the sort of the the landmark but it's like whatever told this guy that he could you know one day have a an airline and the next day have a cruise line and the next day have a record label or not you know like all these things and and so i think the idea of never stop dreaming is a big one uh i do think that i want to keep righteous in the mix whether whether it's you know if we got into fintech or something crazy um you know how can the brands sort of permeate different industries um but for right now i think we've got you know our work cut out for us on what's in front of us and there's no reason to get distracted with anything too crazy so just keep making things that make the world more awesome so switching industries isn't out of the cards for you not at all. Let me know when you start a video production company. <laughs> uh, I got, I got some. Uh, I was talking about reference points. I got some tough competition. So, yeah. <laughs> um, is there anything we didn't get to talk to that you want to kind of talk to or plug before we wrap up? No, you know, I, I think uh, kudos to you for what you're creating, and and I think uh, you've got so much talent, and um, I'm a big fan of of. Uh, people like you that have the courage to just live their dream and, and do something pretty unique. So uh, I would echo that. And I think a lot of the guests you'll have on this podcast, you'll be surprised because um, your reputation is, is pretty powerful and uh, you've got a very uniqueness about you. So just keep doing what you're doing and uh, I'll keep doing what I'm doing too. So I appreciate that. Cool. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for sharing the insights and, this is extremely valuable to realistically anybody, you know, like we, we designed this to be valuable to young entrepreneurs and that sort of thing. But I think ultimately, as we as we go about this process, like you're discussing, um, there's so much, you know, great advice. Everybody has so much to give and it doesn't their experiences is one piece of the journey and what they you know, that shapes the, the words they say. But I think it uh, it means a lot for people to hear from people at all walks of life specifically, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no two experiences are the same, and I think um, in a in a setting like this, you get to sort of remove the walls a bit and ask some good questions, and uh, you know, push back. You did a good job of of that of asking you know a deeper question. Uh, it's like that sort of five whys kind of idea, um, and I I think now more than ever people want to passively learn. I call it so. It's like listen to something like. Uh, in a way that they might pick up a cue or, or has a level of entertainment that's not some Netflix special kind of idea. Um, so yeah, it's good. I think uh, I, would, I would encourage you know anyone that gets to be a guest on this to just open up and, and share and, and uh, know that you're helping somebody else. So mm-hmm. awesome. Cool. Thanks so much. Yeah.